Good to see everybody back tonight, and I know we have a number of folks who have visited with us over the past few weeks, and we want you to feel always welcome. We want you to come back. We want you to, if you're looking for a home congregation, to meet with some of our elders, and uh, also want to encourage you to be a part of all the services that we have. And uh, I'm not sure if Brother Jason mentioned it or not, but on Monday mornings we have our Monday morning Bible class. We're studying the book of Revelation and uh, we'll be more than glad to have you come and be a part of that class. Uh, it's a good time for us to just enjoy a Bible study and uh, studying a book that's always been very interesting to most people. I get a lot of questions that are put to me to ask, will you preach on this subject? And I have been asked recently two or three times, will you preach on after death, what then? I've generally tried to be careful that I did not do so at a period of time when someone in our congregation was suffering the loss of someone, and that makes it very difficult because it's hard to plan when deaths are going to take place. But there's a lot of confusion that takes place with regards to death. What is on the other side? When a person leaves this life and moves into eternity, what is on the other side? What happens to me when I die? What could I expect to happen? Should I be afraid of death? Is it something I should fear? All these are questions that arise in our minds. And I'm going to try to be very basic and very simple, just to use the scriptures to answer these questions. And we're going to ask the question, what is death? What occurs when death takes place? Number two, where are the dead? Where are they now? Where will they be? And then number three, when are the dead judged? What will take place when judgment comes? And so we're going to look at those three questions very simply in our lesson tonight. And the idea of death and dying appears a lot in the Bible. In fact, you can go back to the very beginning of time and you can see in the beginning in the temptation in the Garden of Eden that God had made some statements in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, we read, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. That's the first mention of death in the Bible. God warning that this is a possibility for Adam and Eve if they eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We learn in chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, as Eve in conversation with Satan, the devil says, But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. It's been a, all the way back to the beginning, the problem that Satan is the one responsible for death. I am saddened when people sometimes go to the funeral home and someone say, well, God took him. No, it's the truth is, is that Satan is the one who brought sin and death into this world. That's what Paul writes in Romans 5 and verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Had sin not taken place, it would have been a di very different world. 
the tree of life that's in the midst of the Garden of Eden would have been available to man. But God drove the man and the woman from the garden and from the tree of life and all the benefits that were there. But what is death? Death is essentially the separation of the body and the spirit or the body and the soul. And when you start going through the scriptures, you find that mentioned in more than one way. And perhaps the plainest is found in James 2 and verse 26. And there James is trying to contrast those who say they have faith and those who say they have works. And he gets to verse 26 and he says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. You take the body of man and you take the spirit of man and you remove that body and that's when you have death occur. There's other passages which I think are interesting the way they're presented. And you go to Acts chapter 5 and verse 10 and you read, then immediately that is Priscilla, not Priscilla, I'm sorry, uh, Sapphira. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last And the young men came in and found her dead and carried her out, buried her by her husband. Now when you read that word, breathed her last, if you're reading the King James, it says she fell down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. That original word is the spirit leaving, the breath leaving. That's when death takes place. When that spirit of one's body leaves, then... Life is gone and death has taken place. Well, we understand that there is that dual part of man, that there is the two parts. And it's almost like the spirit is living in a body or living in a building. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul would say, For we know that our earthly house, this tent is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. He's talking about the place where our spirit lives. And this idea of calling it a tent or calling it a building is is one that's used again frequently because Peter in 2 Peter 1 verses 13 and 14 says, Yes, I think it is right as long as I'm in this tent to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that I must shortly put off my tent just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Peter was saying, I'm living in this body, but I'm not going to be living in it much longer. I'm going to put it off. I'm going to lay it aside. And so thus death occurs when you take the body and you take the spirit and you separate them and then death occurs. But the body is corruptible. That is, it will decay. In fact, it's decaying now. Those of us who were once young and now are old, remember them when our bodies were strong and they were capable of doing all kinds of things. But as you get older, it begins to be weaker. It begins to uh, develop wrinkles. Your hair turns gray or turns loose. Your body begins to be old and it goes through that process. But when the life leaves the body, then it does begin to even rot and When you go to Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7, the dust will return to the earth as it was and the spirit will return to God who gave it. God says, okay, with the body, it's going to go back to the dust. 
Chapter 3, verse 20. All go to one place, all are from the dust, and all will return to the dust. That means that everybody's body is going to go through that decomposition process. Genesis chapter 3, verse 19. Speaking to Adam, he says, In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. So we understand that death is when there's the separation of the body and the spirit, and we understand death occurs, that we take that body, that's the reason why we bury it, because it goes through that decomposition process going back to the earth. But the spirit, however, is kept under God's control. It cannot be measured in physical terms. It's something that you and I have to understand is different. Now, when Paul was asked the question in 1 Corinthians 15 about the resurrection, he tried to explain that to our feeble minds. And beginning with verse 35, he says, But someone will say, How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow the body that shall be, but a mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, and there's one kind of flesh of men, Another flesh of animals, another the flesh of fish, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial is one, the glory of the terrestrial is another. And there's the glory of the sun, the glory of the moon, and the glory of the stars. One star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there's a spiritual body. And so as it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last man, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so are also those who are made of dust. And as the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust... We shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. And he goes on to further explain what that involves. But I want you to understand that in what happens in death is the decay of that physical body, and yet God retains the spirit. Which then brings up the second question, well, where are the dead now? That, answer, that is going to address the questions that was asked, what happens when I die? And going to answer the question, 
What will happen to me after I die? What will I become? We know where the body goes. It's placed in the tombs. But what about the spirit? Where does it go? How does God in his divine wisdom take care of our spirits? Well, it is awaiting that resurrected body. In John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29, Jesus said, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those that have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Then Paul explains to the Thessalonians, he says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who've fallen asleep, that you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain to the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who have, are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain to the coming of the Lord, or remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. You're saying, well, what's going to happen? Well, there's going to take place. The Lord's going to have a reunion of the body and of the spirit. But where did the spirit go? The spirit went to Hades. And Hades is a simple word which means the unseen. Just like the Old Testament word Sheol, S-H-E-O-L. Same idea, it's a place of the unseen. It's where Lazarus went. It's where the rich man went. It's where Jesus went when he was in the tomb. If you'll notice Acts chapter 2, verse 27, talking about Jesus, Peter in his sermon said, You will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. What that meant is, is that the Spirit of Jesus did not stay in Hades, nor did the body that was placed in that tomb decay, which is different than you and I. Verse 31, He foreseeing this spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. There was the spirit that stays in Hades awaiting the resurrection, which is exactly what Jesus did. In Luke 16, in verse 23, a very valuable passage that Jesus talks about, the rich man and Lazarus, he says, And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. What you know is that's where the rich man was, that's where Abraham was, and that's where Lazarus was. So we are aware, we are cognizant of what's going on. We are not sleeping in the sense of what the Jehovah's Witnesses teach, soul sleeping. But we're aware of, of things in our eternal, not our eternal, but our waiting state, waiting for the resurrection. But Hades has two parts to it. 
And with that, a great separation between the two of them. On one part of it is paradise. And the word paradise simply refers to a beautiful garden, a beautiful place. And we learn in Luke chapter 23, verse 43, when Jesus spoke to that robber who was next to him on the cross, who had asked Jesus to remember him when he came into his kingdom, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, in verse 4, Paul spoke about when he was in the Spirit, he said how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which is not lawful for a man to utter. Paradise was where the righteous people go, awaiting the resurrection. But on the other hand, there's a place called torments. It also is a part of Hades. And when you think about torments, the Bible's very clear about what is there. 2 Peter 2 verse 4, For God did not spare angels who sin, but cast them down to hell, literally torments, and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. That's where the angels who sin went. That's also where the ungodly folks go. Jude verse 6, And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. And going back to Luke 16, 23, and being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes. The rich man was in the part called torments. But somebody says, well, I'm, I'm concerned now. You said there's a place called Hades, part of its paradise and part of its torments, and do I have to worry about being close? Well, there's a great gulf fixed. If you go to Luke 16, verse 26, Abraham, talking to the rich man, said, And besides all of this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed. Now listen carefully. So that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. If you're in paradise in this period of time, you will remain in paradise until the resurrection. If you are in torments, the part of, uh, part of Hades, you will remain there until the resurrection of the body. But then that leads us to the third part of our discussion, and that is when are the dead judged? There will be a day of judgment and that day will be when Jesus returns again. Many of us sometimes look at that and say, but hasn't a judgment already taken place? When the wicked people are placed in torments and the righteous people go to paradise? Yes, but it's not the permanent place and it's without the body. But Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 and 32, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all of his holy angels with him. Then he shall sit on the throne of his glory, and all nations shall be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. That means that when the great day of judgment comes, the Lord is going to be there separating, 
Again, those who are righteous and those who are wicked. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 continues, For all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the deeds done in the body according to what he has done, whether the good or bad. On that day, every one of us will appear before that judgment throne. In Acts 17, verses 30 and 31, Paul, in speaking to those men in Athens, said, The times of this ignorance God once overlooked. But now he commands all men everywhere to repent. And then he follows, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. And he's given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. That day is going to come. And when it does, all are going to have to appear on that appointed day. And then we take the passage that Brother Caleb read for us just a few moments ago. Hebrews 9 and verse 27. And is appointed unto man once to die... But after this, the judgment, and lest you think, well, you die and then you're judged, he goes on to explain in verse 28 that Jesus will return again to those who are eagerly waiting for him. Well, when will that day be? The answer is no one knows. I don't know, and you don't know. Nor do all the prognosticators who are trying to say, well, the Lord's going to return next year. He's going to return next decade. Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. But of that day and that hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. And did you hear that? The angels who have revealed so many things to man throughout the history of mankind, they don't know. Verse 44, Therefore you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour which you do not expect. Chapter 25, verse 13, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour which the Son of Man is coming. What that clearly means is because I don't know and because you don't know, each of us have to remain prepared every day. I often think when I read this about Brother Dowell Flatt's Greek class. Brother Flatt said on the first day of class, you can have a test any day. And you went into class the first day and you didn't have a test. You went into class the second day. You didn't have a test. You know what many of us thought? We're going to go to class tomorrow and we won't have a test. You know what happened the third day? You go into class and you got a test. Many of us bombed it. So we go back the next day and we think, well, he went a couple of days before he had a test. And so we're going to go back the fourth day and guess what you got again? Another test. Part of his doing that was to keep us on our toes, prepared all the time. What that means here in Matthew 24 and 25 is the Lord expects us to remain ready so that if Tony dies today or you die today or the Lord comes again today, I'm ready. We can hear the words, well done. 
2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. For the day of the Lord will so come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conduct and godliness? If you know what's going to take place, but you don't know when... And what God is calling on you to do is to be ready for it, live a godly life, a holy life every day. When you read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he's going to explain a little bit here, and I think it's helpful. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that the day should overtake you as a thief. You are not in darkness. You know that it's coming. You don't know when, but you know it's coming, and so it should not overtake you. If the trumpet should sound and the dead should arise in the next ten minutes... You and I should not be surprised. The Lord has warned us of its coming. He's told us it would come, come at any time. And so if you and I are prepared, it would not matter. There's a lot of things which is not under our control. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 8 and verse 8, No one has power over the Spirit to retain the Spirit. And no one has power over the day and the day of death. None of us can say, I'm not going to die. None of us can say, I'm going to retain my spirit. I'm not going to give up and I'm not going to give in. No, that will come. The question is, are you prepared for it? One of the things that I observe is that people make preparations at a certain point in their life. Maybe it's at retirement age. Maybe it's earlier in life that they buy life insurance and something happened to them that their children and their families are taken care of, that there'll be sufficient funds for them to be able to live. Others, as they get older in life, go and buy a burial policy that will be able to provide for them to be put away in a respectable way. But when you start thinking about, are you preparing for your death in spiritual ways. Are you a Christian? You know, tonight you need to be thinking very seriously about the opportunity that's in front of you. It happens every service that we conduct here where the invitation of the Lord is extended so that if you want to become a Christian, you can come and say, I, I want to become a Christian what we'll ask you to do in a, a moment or two after that is to stand before the audience. I'll ask the question, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? And if you answer, yes, I do, then we'll baptize you. And in doing so, the Bible tells us that the Lord will add you to His body, the church, Acts chapter 2, verse 47. And also as a part of that, your sins will be forgiven, Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. What a wonderful thought. You prepared yourself. You're ready for the Lord's coming or you're ready for death, whichever comes first.
Brethren, here's another challenge for many of us. We're, we're plodding through this world of sin. The devil and the sinful world can often have a profound impact on us. Before us are temptations. We face trials in lives and we have to admit that sometimes we give in to them. If it's private matters, then certainly you need to be praying to God, please forgive me. On the other hand, if it is a public matter, you need to be asking that your brethren pray for you as well. We're told James 5 or 16 to pray for one another because the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. We confess our faults to one another. That's important. If you need to do that tonight, we want to encourage you to do that. We're going to sing the song while Jesus whispers to you. If you need to respond, please come as together we stand and sing.